Um, yeah, 4th of July. Wow. We made it. We're here. Um, just a couple, one quick thing. So we have changed up our protocol with the whole communion. So we're no longer doing these pre-packaged uh, <laughs> cup uh, that uh, I guess apparently does taste like wine. Uh, been fermenting for so long. So uh, we do have gluten-free, uh, you know, matzah bread broken up. I, I do believe everything's going to be individualized. So there should be a piece of the cracker in one cup, either, I don't know, with the, with the juice, not soaking it, obviously, but two <laughs> cups, right? So feel free, and the communion table will be back there, as always. Um, well, yeah, it's, uh, it's time to get in the message. Um, I, I'll, just, I'll just say... Personally, like I said, I, I had one of those. The week was great. And then I just had one of those days yesterday where it was just like, man, Lord, uh, this sucks. <laughs> and it, and it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, I was talking to Lou uh, just quickly earlier, uh, you know, before service. And it's like, you know, if the enemy knows that there's really no doesn't look like there's a, a chink in your armor as far as you uh, falling back from, um, you know, serving the Lord or, 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 or you uh, not denouncing Jesus as your Savior. Uh, there's still a, a myriad, many different other ways the enemy will try to get under your skin or, or, or throw those fiery arrows, whether it be, uh, you know, resentment or unforgiveness or bitterness or any of these little things, right, that are, you know, a lot of times we're looking for some exorcist demonic demon spewing out whatever, you know, to, to, to think that's spiritual warfare. But many times it's the very subtle things, so subtle that if we're not aware of it, that opens up the door for demonic attack. And, and again, uh, anywhere the enemy can can wedge uh, division between obviously you and the Lord, that's 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 his primary goal. But if he can wedge, uh, you know, a wall between you and your spouse or you and your children or you and your brother or sister in Christ or you and someone else that's not even saved, then the enemy is working his tactics to try to gain ground on you. So, you know, um, I need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of that. Um, I'm looking for the Lord to, to refresh me today. I need that refreshing. And so I've been seeking the Lord uh, early and often uh, today for that. But in any event, we're in Acts chapter 28. We've uh, got to the final chapter. We're starting the final chapter of Acts chapter 28. And if you've been with us for any length of time, which I don't think I'm speaking to anyone who hasn't been here. You know, we've been in this book since uh, Pastor Nick left and I've uh, taken over. So we're starting off in Acts chapter 28. We'll be in verses 1 down through 10 this morning. So when you get there, if you could, please stand and we'll go ahead and read God's word and go ahead and pray. And then we'll get into our message. All right. Acts chapter 28, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it says, after we were brought safely through, we then learned that. The island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, 
speaking of Paul, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of the place where the lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. <clears throat> and Paul visited him and prayed and putting, him, putting his hand on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you uh, again for just your perfect timing. How, Lord, you, uh, you care for us in ways that, that, honestly, we can't even begin to imagine the things that you do for us. Lord, thank you most importantly for uh, the shedding of your son Jesus Christ's uh, blood upon the cross of Calvary that... Uh, basically washed away our sins. Anyone that would receive the gift of salvation is now clean in your sight. Thank you that we don't have to walk around with guilt and shame, Lord, but we can walk this earth now uh, humbly uh, living for you, Lord, um, despite our circumstances, finding joy in you, not our circumstances. And so, Father, we just pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. May uh, you, you help us to see the truth in it. Where is Jesus and how is this applicable to our lives? Father, we thank you and love you. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. All right. You may be seated. Um, yeah, it's amazing that we've come this far. Here we are in the book of Acts chapter 28. Uh, so we finally find that uh, the Apostle Paul and, and the rest of the crew and these prisoners, uh, they have made it to this island. They've made it to the island of Malta. They experienced great hospitality in on this island. Uh, the Lord's healing hand was revealed to them through the native people of this island. These people that they didn't know who they were. They had stumbled upon this island and these people cared for them in a great way. Today we will begin our study learning three basic truths as it pertains to God's word. And hopefully <laughs> we're, we're going to learn about uh, these truths because uh, what's the point if uh, we're not finding it in God's word? Well, the first one is this. A servant of God or a child of God. For them, for us, serving, the act of serving, service, is never out of season. We see this truth evident in the life of the Apostle Paul. Obviously, we, we, we see this the most in Jesus Christ. We know Paul, he was a true follower, a true believer of Jesus Christ. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, he did his best to emulate Jesus and all that he did. Speaking of Jesus, Jesus said of himself that the son of man, what did he do? He came to this earth uh, to be served. No, he, he, he came to this earth to serve mankind and not to be served, though he was the son of God, though he is God, though he is uh, creator of 
this world and this universe. He came to this earth to serve his creation, not to be served. You see, Paul understood this concept well. Because as they made their way onto this island, you know, Paul didn't, um, you know, he, he, he didn't think to, uh, you know, kick up his feet and have a cold one, you know, and lay back on a hammock and relax. You know, those Corona commercials now, they got Snoop Dogg and they got the other uh, Latin dude. <laughs> they're rolling on the, <laughs> on the beach and they're handing out Coronas and you know, it's the fine life, baby. Uh, you know, Paul wasn't looking at it like that. Paul was uh, quick to serve not to be served. And, it, and, it, and you look at Paul's life. You look at the life of Christ, for that matter. It didn't matter what season of life these men or the God-man, Jesus Christ, was in. He was ready to serve. You see, it's easy to serve other people when everything is rosy, right? When everything is copacetic, when there's no tension, when there's no frustration, when there's no resentment, when there's no bitterness. But what about when the circumstances of your life and my life are unfavorable? Are we as quick to consider others before ourselves? Are we quick to consider serving them when the circumstances are not in our favor? You see, it's funny how, uh, you know, when you're, you know, studying for you know, whatever, uh, serving in a service, not to sound cliche-ish, but to, you know, minister the word. It's, it's funny how the Lord will test you <laughs> in these matters of whatever he reveals to you in his word, or not even that, just as a child of God. You don't have to be a pastor to, to go through this, but have you ever experienced the revelation of God in his word? And as soon as you've understood it and it's been revealed to you, the Lord gives you a, a bird's eye view, a personal experience where you get to uh, apply these principles in your own life. And you can see it play out either for <laughs> the better or worse, depending on how you respond to the circumstance at hand. Um, again, I won't go into detail, but, you know, like I said, yesterday was rough uh, for me serving my family. And, and uh, you know, clearly I, I look at Jesus and I look at the Apostle Paul and I'm like, man. You know, I have much room to grow in the area of, of serving and, and, and service and what that looks like. And, and, and again, despite the, the circumstances that come about. But that's our, our first main point that we really need to take to heart and take home with us. As a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're never out of season for serving. It's not like NFL football where you only play from the fall and maybe even if you make it to the Super Bowl, you, may play, you might play in early February. That's not the case. It's year-round, every day. You don't take days off. And the reason for that, the only way you're able to do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit because everyone would burn out if that was the case because no one can do it on their own 365 days a year despite difficult circumstances. So that's the first thing we need to understand for our message this morning. The second main point is this. We need to avoid extremes of good and bad judgment when we base, again, when we judge people, when we judge other human beings, right? Avoid these extremes of, oh man, 
you know, they're just so good, or, or this person is so horrible, and, and, and the acts they've committed are so atrocious that I, that I just, you know, uh, to me, they're just like Satan. That, that's, we need to avoid these extremes. You see, when Paul was gathering this wood to kindle the fire, to, to be a blessing to these people, uh, the, the people that he traveled with, he was attacked by a snake. And the native people, they had assumed that he was receiving punishment that he deserved from the gods. Oh, he's the gods get him, got him now. They stuck a viper on him. He's guilty. He's guilty. But then when they realized that Paul didn't get hurt, what did this text say? The text says he shook off the viper into the fire and was not harmed. <laughs> then they began to praise him as a god. Well, he must be a god. He must be you know, a, 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 a God because he didn't get hurt. He should have swollen up and he should have laid dead because of that viper. You see, the danger in placing people in either extremes, good or bad, is we lose a sense of reality. Our framework becomes skewed when we start putting people on a pedestal or when we demonize people and put them lower than a human being. We, you know, a lot of that goes on in our culture, right? Um, unbeknownst to us, it's just the way of the culture with Hollywood, with, you know, um, we pay, you know, uh, athletes millions upon millions of dollars to throw a ball or to, you know, to bounce a basketball while teachers uh, get paid rocks and they're with our children eight hours of the day. That's a whole other topic. But, you know, we we esteem and we elevate. We have shows called American Idol where we idolize whether we want to say we do or not. The concept is there. We idolize people and we put them on a pedestal. We see the commercials where you need to look a certain way. And, and this is the way beauty looks. And we, we glorify these, these people, these movie stars, these actors or these actresses for how they look or for what they do and how they look. But you see, these extremes are not good. You see, humans could never be God and should never be considered worthy of the status of God. But when we, we, we do this, when we... When we glorify people in the place of God, right, we make them false gods. We rob the almighty true God of the praise and worship that's due only to him. We should not worship the creation. Rather, we worship the creator. But by the same token, when we demonize people, right, when we we fail, uh, when we fail to realize what's kind of behind the cloak, behind the scenes, and we just demonize them for what they've done, um, it's the same thing. We have to understand that there are spiritual forces at play, right? There are things that our naked eyes cannot see. Spiritual forces of light and dark, of good and bad, of evil and good that are at work. And satanic oppression occurs and spiritual bondage is a direct result of poor choices that people make. When we see, uh, you know, uh, you know what, what, uh, what is it, Dr. Larry Nasser and, and the despicable acts that he uh, had, had done to all those children for all the many years uh, in the gymnastics world, there's a satanic influence there, okay? You, you don't just do that in and of yourself, and I'm not saying let him off the hook 
and turn a blind eye to sin, what I'm saying is we need to peel back the cloak and understand that there's, there's so much more at hand than him just committing these despicable acts. He's obviously in some kind of satanic spiritual bondage that allowed him and the company that he kept allowed him to continue doing these things. But we, ha- we have to understand that though we are responsible for the choices we make, again, whether they're good or bad, there's more than we see beneath the surface. And so that is, again, another reason, a critical reason why prayer and interceding for people is so important. And we see that in our text this morning. The third main point for us this morning is this. The Lord is always on time with whatever we need. He gives us everything we need when we need it. Amen. In just the nick of time, the precise moment, sometimes it's 11.59 with, you know, one second to spare. But in the exact moment that this crew needed it, they found this island. They found this island and they received much needed hospitality from these native people. Again, in that instance, in that act, we see the Lord's provisions were perfectly timed. You see, the Lord wasn't too early and he wasn't too late. Us, we always you know, miss that. We're either way too early or we're way too late. Rarely are we on time with anything. I know it's been said, you know, show up early because early's on time. Why is that? Well, because we typically tend to be late. But you see, God's not like that. God is always on time. He provide he provided, excuse me, through the native people of the island everything that Paul and the crew needed for them to gain the strength that they needed for this hospitality to be able to go back on the sea when they needed to go. Uh, the Lord, through the native people, provided everything that the crew and Paul needed coming in and going out. They were blessed. Um, I don't know about you, but how encouraged should we be from this text this morning that no matter where we are in life, God bless you, that if you put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ, He will always come through for you. Amen. Amen. You may be surprised by who the Lord uses or when or what He provides, what you need, but the but God will never fail you. He'll always come through. And again, we see that in our text this morning. So let's let's break down these verses and see how this is actually applicable to our lives. Because I don't think anyone's getting uh, a viper <laughs> stuck on their hand. But it still uh, you know, has its application in our lives today. All right. And hopefully no one's getting stranded on an island unless it's uh, Maui or something. <laughs> All right. After we were brought safely through... Uh, We learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness for uh, they kindled a fire and welcomed us because it had begun to rain and was cold. So, again, that's a pretty uh, strong engine. They found that the island was called Malta. So they they, they got here. They, 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 They finally got to a place of refuge. Um, these experienced sailors, they would have certainly known about this island and the name of it, but not from the side of the island that they came across. You see, uh, almost all of the traffic that came to Malta came to the main port, 
Uh, if you th- I know we're not an island, but you think about the Bay Area and you think of the, the, the Port of San Francisco and Oakland, right? All the traffic of things that come from different places around the world funnel through there. If this was an island, it would be like that's the side where all the traffic came and where they were. They were on the back end of the island, so it wasn't quite known. It wasn't as popularized. There wasn't as much foot traffic as the other side. Hence, there was native people from the island that occupied this side. Um, they didn't recognize this side of the island. Uh, but next, notice that the text says that the native people showed unusual kindness. This is very important for us to, to, to see, unusual kindness, because it, it, it points out, it reveals God's hand again, watching over Paul and the crew. You see, all throughout Scripture, there are many examples of, of humans, right, and our natural bend towards sin. All you have to do is go to the first book of the Bible and you see what happens. You see that, uh, you know, uh, Adam and Eve made poor choices and uh, their first children, you know, uh, Cain and Abel. Cain was uh, offended uh, by how the Lord received his offering. And what did he do? <laughs> he didn't say, my brother, I'm going to you know, help you out. We'll talk about it. I'm going to kill you. And that's how I'm going to get back at you. So we see that natural order of things because of sin, our natural bend is toward selfishness, greed, not considering the other person, not not thinking of how they feel, but thinking about ourselves first. It's only by the Lord's power impressed upon someone that they will act in a manner that is kind and gentle and considerate to other people. And this is the kicker regardless if someone is saved or not. The text doesn't say, but you can assume that these people were not saved people, one, because they were natives to the island, and unless someone had come to them and shared with them uh, who Jesus Christ was, and we see in the text that they glorified Paul as a god. So we could see there that clearly these are unchurched, unsaved people, but they are showing unusual kindness. You can't explain that away. All you can assume, the conclusion you can come to is that the Lord had led them to be kind to Paul and this crew. Again, this is the work of God. It is not the work of man. Remember, it was the Lord who had just moved upon the centurion's heart to shut down the crew's plan to murder and massacre all the prisoners, right? Remember, the crew said, you know what, we're just going to kill everybody. So then that way, we're off the hook. When we see Caesar, we could just say that we slaughtered them all. We're not, we're not um, you know, guilty of anything bad. But the centurion said, you know what, let it not be so. We're going to keep these people. Let them swim off of this uh, ship that is sinking and let us get to the island. All right. Next, we see that the people of the island made uh, them all welcome. They, they welcomed them. There was hospitality that was running through the veins of these people at this moment. And they were helping them because the rain was falling and because it was cold. And remember, Luke was the man who penned this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And, and Luke wrote as someone who actually experienced this, right? Both in the kindness of these native people of Malta and also of the coldness and the bitterness of the storm. Um, this name Malta, uh, well, it could mean refuge, as I've entitled this message, My Refuge, but it's not speaking of <laughs> the Malta people or this island, but of Jesus Christ. But, but this name was a fitting name for where these uh, sailors and the prisoners and Paul were at, uh, that this, this name meaning refuge. 
Um, there was, uh, this is just a little historic fact, but there, there was some controversy with this name depending on where you looked at what root language you were looking at it from. If you were looking at it from um, the ancient Greek, Greeks, it meant something else. But if you were looking at it through uh, the language of the Phoenicians here, it would mean refuge. So uh, in Greek, it, it actually had the meaning of honey. And that was because there were many bee trappers on this island. And, and as we know, back then in the ancient times, things like honey and different herbs and spices were very valuable. And so there was a lot of uh, time and manpower invested in this beekeeping uh, economy. And so in Greek, this name would probably mean that. But again, for the Phoenicians, it meant refuge. Uh, nonetheless, it was Jesus Christ, again, who is, was in full control of the circumstances and the situation. And he shows again himself above every circumstance that man can go through. Um, it was him, Jesus Christ, who was their refuge back then. And for us today is our only refuge for mankind. He is our fortress and our strong tower. We celebrate Independence Day right today and, and, and what all that represents. And even as we celebrate Independence Day in this country, and I'm not sure if you're noticing, but the whole concept or idea of independence is starting to become blurred. It's starting to become perverted into something else, into meaning you can do and be whoever you want. And we need to remember, again, what, were, what, what, what was this country founded on? You cannot talk about American history with, without speaking on Jesus Christ. And as they are trying to eradicate the name of Christ from every institution, the independence that some are celebrating is not the same independence that was meant to be celebrated. So we need to be aware of these things as we uh, we enjoy our hot dogs or whatever you enjoy on your 4th of July as you light fireworks. Don't get in trouble. I don't know if they're legal in San Jose. I know in Fremont they're not legal. <laughs> All right. You can go down to Fresno and burn up everything you want. I think they're legal down there. All right. Um, going on to verses 3 down through 6. And it says... When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, or he, excuse me, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and so saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said, Paul, you're a God. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. First, we see that um, this brings us to our first point. The point that as a Christian, you're never out of season for serving it says that paul gathered a bundle of sticks paul what are you doing man you just survived a horrific storm where you were on the sea for 14 days and 14 nights with no light in the day no light in the nighttime scurvy everywhere people throwing up feces everywhere it's sick it's nasty you can toss to and fro oh it's just gross People are holding on for dear life. People are plotting to kill everybody. The ship's falling apart. I can't imagine that. Paul, what are you doing? You're going to go grab sticks for the fire? The great apostle, 
great servant, not glorifying him, the great servant, he gathered wood for the fire, even though there were probably plenty of people among the 276 passengers that were more suitable for the job. I mean, he could have said, hey, murderer, you go get it. You go get the wood. You're already going to die. You go get the wood. You're a prisoner. Do this menial job. Paul's servant heart was always evident. He, he didn't think himself above any common duty. It wasn't easy times, right? He went through, just like all the rest of them, they all went through a difficult season, those two weeks on the water. And yet, Paul considered others greater than himself for, that, for him to, to, to humble himself and go look for the, uh, the wood for the fire to, to be kindled. Today, I'll ask the question, how are you doing in that area? Do you first look to serve others? Or do you look for yourself to be served? You see, he was willing to chip in his portion. Paul was. You know that, uh, that children's song? They sing it at my, my, uh, my in-law's house. That was actually the first time I heard it when we had Kalos. My father, father-in-law would sing. He'd say, clean up, clean up. Everybody everywhere, clean up, clean up. Everybody do your share. Well... The application is this. As Christians, we are never out of season to serve other people. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 9 and 10 tells us clearly, Show hospitality to one another without, emphasis added, grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You see, here's the true kicker of the matter. You see, many Christians say, yes, I love God. I love Jesus. I love God. I love Jesus Christ. But how we serve others, it truly reveals the love of God that we claim to have. How we serve other people. And you notice that the verse we just read, it's stated to serve without grumbling, without complaining, without backbiting. We'll give you this plate of food. I'm mad at you. You know? You just make me so mad. But I'm going to serve you. But I just want to just throw you through the wall. Hey, we laugh, but you know that's in your heart sometimes. I know that's in my heart sometimes. You know, I need to be more like Jesus and less like myself. I mean, I'll keep it real. I suck, man. Apart from Christ, ain't nothing good in me. That would be coming out all the time if the Holy Spirit wasn't dealing with me. And even when he's dealing with me, it's not pretty at times. You see, I know, sometimes it makes me... No, it's okay. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's all good. Sometimes it makes me... Don't, you don't gotta be sorry. I am not coming down on you. I'm saying that it makes me feel like that. <laughs> you see, many times we serve, but we serve with a crummy, scabby, nasty, grimy heart. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm here listening to that worship song and I'm like, I, I'm like, I can't even sing, uh, you know, Lord, I honor you in all that I do. I'm thinking in my mind, I want to honor you in all that I do. But the reality is I'm not honoring you in everything I do because that nasty heart, it just comes popping up. And uh, we're not to serve with grumbling. We're supposed to serve with a clean heart, right? Lord, create in me a clean heart, renewing me a right spirit so I can deal with people in a manner that would be pleasing to you, in a manner that would free me from the bondage that I'm in when I'm struggling with all this and that. You see, because, again, I said it before and I'll say it again. Satan will use any tactic to try to stifle your walk with the Lord. And if he can put a wedge between you and your spouse or you and your children or you and your coworker, or you and your brother and sister in Christ because someone or both people are unwilling to forgive or overlook the wrong that's been done to them, then the enemy is winning in that area. You see, this kind of uh, service I'm talking about, good service with a clean heart, especially when it's not convenient. See, that's the thing. Anybody serves when it's convenient. What did Jesus say? Man, even the sinners love each other. You're supposed to love when the people don't love you back, when they revile you. You're supposed to still show love. This inconvenient Service. This is what Jesus did for us upon the cross of Calvary. It's called a kind of love that is long-suffering. Long-suffering love. It, 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 it's, it's not love of merely words, but it's the kind of love that has action backed by it. You see, it's an easy thing to say, I love you. We say it all the time. Oh, I love you, brother, sister. I love you. I, I, I need some help. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm busy this week. I, I, you, know, I, you know how life is. I mean, just things come up. I, I can't come by. Really? I just need someone to talk to. Oh, yeah. oh you know, I, I just can't do it. Maybe next week. Let me look at my schedule. I'll get back to you. That's not love. That's not love. You see, a lot of that is just lip service, talking about it, talking about it talking about it but it's actually what we do not what we say that reveals your love for another person sometimes it's what you don't do that reveals your love for another person but but more times than not it it, it doesn't have to do with words it has to do with your actions you see love long-suffering love is a verb it's an action where what jesus did what jesus continues to do for us remember we're stubborn foolish sheep and he's still interceding, praying for us. Some of us, man, you've made that mistake 777 times. Jesus could be like, man, I'm done with you. But that's long-suffering love. You know, dealing with my children, this is, or dealing with my child. I don't want to say tears yet because she's not that old. But dealing with Kalos, I'm like, man, that's, I need long-suffering love. You know, because I'm like, son, how many times do I have to tell you? But then the Lord goes back and tells me, Keefing, how many times do I have to tell you? It's that long-suffering love. If no one's life is being affected by your service, 
then you're not living out your divine purpose in life. You see, because service and love go hand in hand. If you are not serving anyone, you are not loving anyone. You are merely infatuated with your own understanding of what love is for yourself, looking to be served like a Caesar chilling out or a czar or a king. But we are called to serve. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse one tells us if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have no love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. That's pretty hardcore. That's pretty convicting. You've heard it before. Nobody cares how much you know until what? Until they know how much you care. You see, because all this chitter chatter, all this yipping and yapping and running and ripping, all this riffraff without any actual action, it leads to to a lack of, uh, of true fellowship. It, it leads to a lack of uh, diffusing the power of the Holy Spirit in someone else's life because our actions aren't matching up with our, with, with our words. You see, the sad truth is many who claim to follow Jesus Christ today are not doing their share. They're not cleaning up. Rather, they uh, would like to poke and prod and pick and criticize others in their service to the kingdom of God without ever rolling up their own sleeves and getting dirty themselves. You see, this is the reality because long-suffering love is messy. It's dirty. It's grimy. It's not convenient. Long-suffering love, you're going to get offended. Your feelings are going to get hurt. You're going to be misunderstood. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus and what happened to him. That long-suffering love landed him on the cross of Calvary. Landed him laying down his life for the sins of the world. It wasn't convenient. It wasn't this cute puppy dog love. It was not that at all. You see, but instead of seeking vengeance, you seek to serve in love. Instead of saying, oh, grumbling, I'm going to get back at her. I'm going to get back at him. You just watch. It's their fault anyways. Shoot, I didn't do nothing wrong. You know, we've all been there. I didn't do nothing wrong. Why are you treating me like that? The reality is long-suffering love looks to seek the benefit of others, not themselves. You see, it's easy to criticize when you're not occupied with service. But when you're serving someone else or other people, usually you're too busy in the service and the good of others to be sitting around criticizing, being upset with someone else. But if you find yourself like Martha, (laughs) serving, complaining, grumbling about the situation, then there's a different issue in your heart. Nonetheless, it's always a heart condition. Next, we see that a viper came out because of the heat. And this viper fastened onto Paul's hand. You see, Paul was faithful to God. And he lived out a true servant's life. Once his life was radically changed by Jesus Christ, he was all in. And everything he did, like that song said, he did look to honor Jesus Christ and all that he did. But though he lived a life of servanthood to Jesus, 
It did not keep him from trials. It did not keep him from difficulties in life. You see, his humble service, what did his humble service do? It brought out a viper from the heat. And this viper didn't just nibble at Paul like a, like a mouse. It, it, it fastened onto him, trying to sick fangs in him and administer venom into his bloodstream. But Paul didn't let it bother him. That's what the text says. It didn't bother Paul. You see, as I, I, I studied through this, I, I, I became very convicted. I was like, man, it didn't bother you? It didn't bother you? You didn't grumble or complain one bit? I'm like, I look at my life, I'm like, man, I grumble and complain all the time. Oh, man, it's not good. Like I said, I want to be, I, I truly want to be more like Jesus and less like myself. You see, we know Paul was growing in Christ because he didn't scream out, why, God? <laughs> I can't take any more of this. First, this, the 14 days and, and all this going on, and, 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 and I got to go before Caesar, and now you got this, this viper on me. Can't you see that I'm serving you? I deserve more than this. I deserve better. Why does this viper have to come on me? Paul didn't look at those others sitting around and say, you lazy people. If, if, it, if it wasn't for you, if you would have got the, 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 the wood, then this wouldn't have happened to me. I don't deserve this. You guys are the prisoners. I'm not even deserving of, of, of prison. But he didn't say that. He didn't act in that manner. He didn't do it at all. You see, it was Paul's faith in Jesus Christ that kept him humble and also protected him and saved him from this snake. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't what Paul did. It was, it was who was acting upon the manner of Paul. It was the Holy Spirit watching over him. This is why Paul wasn't tripping. Because he was like, I understand the calling on my life. What's this little snake going to do to me? You have a purpose for me to get beyond this island, to get to Caesar. I'm not going to die here. You see, how many times do you and I, we get, we get all worked up. We get all stressed out. Only to see the Lord deliver us from our difficult circumstances at, the, at just the perfect time. All stressed out. What happens? It works out. But in that moment, we're going through it. We're struggling. We're trying to make sense of it. We're, we go through every kind of emotion you could go through. And the Lord's just like, man, rest in me. Take my yoke upon you. Stop trying to do this on your own. So you don't have to live in that stress. He doesn't want us stressed up, worked up over the situation. And the application is this, living a life of service to Christ will not keep your life trial free. I hope I'm not bursting anybody's bubble up here by saying that, but this is the reality. You don't enter the Christian life thinking, okay, you know, I don't have any more problems. Yes, you don't have the problem of salvation. You know, when your soul is ready to receive its master, you're going to be in paradise forever. But until that day comes, until that moment comes, that doesn't mean that you're exempt from the struggles of this life. Rather, living a life of service to Jesus Christ will provide God's provisions for you in every circumstance and situation you face. That is beautiful. <laughs> That's beautiful. I mean, to know that no matter what I go through, I got the Lord's provisions to watch over me, to help me. Immediately when I was going through this passage, I thought of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, man. 
they were truly obedient to God as well. And what happened to their true obedience? Their true obedience, excuse me, true obedience, and their defiance of the world system of that day landed them in the fire. They're in the fire. You're going to burn because you're not going to bow before me. And instead of seeing three figures in that fire, what did the king see? He saw four, right? That's an that's a illustration of the Lord providing for you what you need. He didn't take them out of the fire per se for the time that they had to be in the fire and the difficulty and even the tragedy of being in that furnace, but the Lord was with them the whole time in it. So, you know, maybe you got some crazy surgery coming up. Hey, the Lord's going to be in there with you through it. Maybe you're going through some crazy financial time right now and you've fallen on hard times and it's hard to make ends meet. The Lord's going to be in it with you, providing for you what you need. Maybe there's a fallout in your family and relationships need to be mended and and it's just not looking right. It's not looking like it's bright, like it's ever going to become bright. You think the Lord doesn't see the hurt and the pain and the turmoil and the anguish that you're going through with your family or your loved ones? He's in there. You just got to hold on. Don't turn your back on Christ. Keep praying. Keep interceding. Keep believing in the hope that's in Christ. And in his time, you will see things change. That's a testament to the Lord's faithfulness. Relationships that you thought could never be mended, never be healed. And then what does the Lord do? It may take 20 years. But those relationships will heal. Even if a person dies and you can't reconcile with them in that. The Lord can still work through you to relinquish that person from the shame and the guilt and the hurt. And say, you know what? I give them over to you, Lord. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to walk anymore in this life with this. I, 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 I forgive them, right? Forgiveness is a two-way street, but forgiveness is really for the person who forgives. So you don't have to have that bitterness and, that, and harbor that animosity and that hate. And I want to get back at you. But when you forgive, you say, oh, it's okay. It's okay. You'll feel that tension release from your body, literally. The physical stress that anger and and bitterness puts on you, it all goes away (laughs) when you're able to say, I forgive you, I forgive you. And then you feel that peace and and, and love can be restored in its rightful place and you can be reconciled, not only to people, but to God. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. I don't know how many of you have seen uh, the movie Blue Miracle. It's on Netflix based on a true story. But, you know, God promises to provide everything that we need, no matter what. And, and I'll give you a little premise of the story because I think it's a great example. So there's an orphanage down, uh, down in, uh, in Cabo, and uh, this orphanage fell on hard times. And uh, they owed the bank $117,000, right? And uh, there's something called the Bigsby Tournament that happens every year. It's a, it's a, it's a very big uh, fishing tournament where great fishermen from all over the world compete. And they're trying to get this certain fish. And there's this one captain that uh, he's won it two times. He's fallen on hard times, but he's still trying to fish and win. And uh, somehow, some way, the way it works out, it converges. This orphanage links up with this, this captain in order to compete in this, uh, in this tournament. And so it's a three-day tournament. And, uh, you know, the first day, <laughs> they don't get nothing. Uh, the second day, they, they, get, they, they, they get something on. They get a fish on, but there's a fight on the boat, 
And uh, one of the rules is whoever touches the line first, you're the one who has to reel it in. <laughs> and uh, as these youngsters are fighting, they fall over the boat. And then the, ca- the captain's the only one who knows how to swim, so he has to go get them. <laughs> and anyway, long story short, the fish get- gets off the hook, and that's day two. Now this captain goes to the, the man who runs the orphanage uh, that night. And he's like, you want to win? You want to save your orphanage? This is the only way to do it. It's going to cheat. They got a fish. His, his, his thing was, I'm going to put this fish underneath the boat and we're going to distract the boys. And when I tell you you're going to come back here, we're going to take the fish down. We're going to throw the fish in the water. And then that's how we're going we're gonna to line it. And then that's how we're going to get it. May not get his first place, but you're, you're, you're going to get some money for it. And so, you know, the man who runs the orphanage, he, you know, he's had a troubled past and he's turned his life around. I believe he's a believer. There's signs of it. And, you know, all throughout this, the movie, you see glimpses of, of him having to make difficult decisions, facing adversity. The easy way or the hard way. He had a, a, a homie from the past that's still in the drug game and said, oh, I, I caught wind. I saw you guys on the news. And, uh, yeah, I heard that you owe $117,000 to the bank. He said, what are you going to do when your prayers don't work? And you need money. He offered them to do runs to get the money to save the orphanage. He said, these boys that you're raising in that orphanage, they're not, they're not tough like we used to be. They're soft. You throw them back in the streets, they're going to be eaten alive like ants. They're going to be eaten alive because they don't, they don't, they're not tough. And so he denies that, gets away from that guy. And the next day, the third day, captain goes to the back of the boat. They got the fish, take the fish out of the bag. And then the guy that's running the orphanage is sitting there. He's sitting there. And, you know, he has an epiphany. He throws it over. He throws it over without it being lined. The fish is gone into the water. The captain comes back, says, you fool. You ruined these kids. Your orphanage is done. <laughs> True story. Woe and behold. Somehow between all that going around, Fish on. Fish on. I think it's sturgeon they're, they're trying to catch. And it happens to be that the, the person that runs the orphanage, he's the closest one to the line. And he touches the line. They're like, and he's like, I can't do it. I said, no, you got to do it. Anyways, long story short, I know it's going on forever. <laughs> he ends up reeling in that fish. The deal was the captain gets 80% of the cut. The orphanage gets 20%. It's a million dollars that they get for it because they won first place. It was like a 300, I don't know. So it was a very big fish, 84 foot. I don't know how many, how much it weighed, but they got over an abundance. They needed 117,000 to keep the orphanage open. They got 237,000 for that. That's a true story. It reminds me of the Lord when he says, I will bless you. I will give you pressed down, shaking together and running over. (laughs) And that's what happened with these people here. All that to say, the Lord comes through in the perfect time, in the perfect manner. It may come not how you think. It may come through people that you would never expect. But the Lord always comes through. Amen. Amen. Next, we see Paul's reaction. He, he, he seemed calmed and unconcerned about this. He shook off the creature into the fire. The natives thought to themselves, no doubt this man is a murderer. And he has received justice, for he will die. They were convinced that this was going to happen. But justice in this sense, it referred to a Greek goddess of justice that they worshipped. And I, I'm going to botch this name. It's spelled D-I-K-E-E. 
Deaky? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm sorry. I, I don't study the Greek like that. But either way, it was a, it was a demigod. It was a false god. It was a small god, a little g. And that's what they were meaning by justice. Uh, the natives, knowing that Paul was a prisoner, right? Because he was accompanied by all kind of prisoners too. They thought he committed a great crime and this goddess of justice would permit Paul to be punished and not escaped. But Paul suffered no harm, the text says. You see, God didn't preserve Paul from the storm just to let him perish by a snake. Paul was protected. You see, it was promised that he would get to Rome as a witness before Caesar. So it wasn't so much that nothing would stop Paul as it was, though, nothing would stop God's promise to Paul to be fulfilled. You see, Paul could take God's past faithfulness for truth and a promise of a future blessing and protection. The application for us is this. God will accomplish his purposes in your life. Your life will not be cut short. You will live out your ordained time and you will do what the Lord has called you to do, what he wills for you in your life. Matthew chapter 6 verse 27 tells us, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? You see, we stress, I stress about all kind of stuff. And the Lord's like, you don't got to be tripping. It's all going to work out. Trust me. Rest in me. I'm your fortress. I'm your, I'm your strong tower speaking to Jesus Christ. And don't, don't get bogged down by all these things going on. It's all part of sanctification. You see, we're sinners working out our salvation in fear and trembling. And that's why things that aren't favorable come up. Things that are difficult come up because this is part of the sanctification process. When we really start to understand that, you can rest a little bit more and, okay, I see the way things are. I get it now. You know, I get it. I'm not perfect, Lord. And you're working things out in me so I can be ready for you when I receive you, when I go to heaven to be with you. I'll be ready to praise and worship you forever. I'll be ready to work in your economy in the kingdom of heaven because you would have worked out all this nonsense and all this junk out of me while I'm down here. And that's why we go through difficult times because we live in a fallen world. I wish it wasn't like that. I wish it was picture perfect. And people didn't have to die heinous deaths and didn't have to go through difficult things. But it's not. It's not Disneyland. It's not picture perfect. It's real. It's grimy. And again, that long-suffering love is going to have you endure difficult things. If I didn't say that, I'd be lying to you. You know, <laughs> I can't lie. I got to just keep it for what the scripture says it is. I don't want to bore you with... Uh, the next statement, I think we're all aware that God's sovereign. We all have free will. The reality is you can't cut your life short. Even if someone commits suicide, you can't cut your life short. Things have to pass through the Lord's hands in order for them to occur. He determines when our heart stops beating. We can't change anything in that, outside of that. All we can do is be uh, responsible for the things that we choose to do with the life that's been given to us, the free will choice that we have. Next, we see that the native people said, he's a God. He's a God. He didn't die from the viper sting. He's a God. But this is a typical human reaction. You see, they saw Paul in extremes. It's either he was super bad or he's super good. He couldn't have just been a person that's struggling with bad and good 
struggling with the sin nature. He had to be either bad or good. In truth, Paul was neither a criminal deserving punishment nor a God deserving of praise. This is, this is all the more reason why we must be cautious about uh, what we say about others or how we take what people think about us, whether it's for good or for bad. You see, Paul was humble and he deflected the praise that, that he received and, and, and he redirected it back to God. The application is this. We should always be willing to direct all honor and glory and praise back to God for that's where it belongs. You see, the moment you and I ever get comfortable with people saying, oh, you're great. Oh, you're fantastic. Oh, you look so good today. Again, nothing wrong with compliments. But, you know, the, the Bible has something to say about people that are always a yes man, a yes woman. That's an enemy. Because a real person will wag that finger in your face and say, you know what? You're acting nasty right now. You need that attitude to be changed. But someone who's an enemy, they're always going to just tell you nothing but nice things. You know what's the worst when someone's telling you something nice about yourself, but you know, you're like, dude, I am crummy. I am not even a good person. I am like, I like, I, it's not cool. You got me deceived. You did not. Re- but you know what? They're like, oh, no, you're so good. You're so good. Nah, you know, when, when we're in that place, we're, 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 we're actually beginning to fall. We're actually beginning to fall. When we're like, oh, it's all good. Just heap, heap the compliments on me. Keep them coming. <laughs> it actually shows a deficiency of our lack of trust in God. If we need to be edified and lifted up by man. What man or woman say to you shouldn't have no bearing on, on your countenance and your, your confident level. Your confidence and your assurance should come from Jesus Christ, not man or woman. I stopped asking my wife a long time ago, what do you think about the sermon? And we don't even talk about church after. Because it, it's, it doesn't make no sense. She ain't going to say what I like or what I want her to say. And then I'm going to be broken down. So it's like I learned I, huh? one time I asked you once and that was it. I never asked her again. What did you think about this sermon? Because the Lord showed me. Don't do that. You preach for an audience of one. You see, the Lord will allow you and I to receive praise from other people to see how we're going to respond. What are you going to do? You going to suck it up for yourself or are you going to direct it back to where it belongs? You know, when we start feeling ourselves, that clearly shows that in that area, we're a little spiritually mature and we need to mature in that area. All right. Last portion of scripture, because I got to get moving. All right. Now in the neighborhood of that place uh, where the land begins to the chief man of the island named Publius. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but that's what I'm saying. Who received us and entertained us uh, hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever. And I probably botched this word too. Dysentery? Okay, I don't know what I said. But I did not say that in the beginning. Okay, and Paul visited him and prayed. And putting his hand on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. Uh, they also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. All right. This was a great blessing and a strange contrast from the misery that these people experienced on the sea for the last two weeks. God gave Paul, remember Luke and Aristarchus were with him as well. Those were the only other believers on the ship. The Lord gave them a season of relief and replenishment. They needed that, right? For us, we need to be replenished. Like I said, I came in here and I was just like, man, 
You know, I was with Kalos, and one of the first things I did was come in here, and I just got on my knees and prayed. I'm like, Lord, I need you. I can't do this. I want to just run out the back door. Mm-hmm. But it's like, we need that replenishment. The Lord, again, is never late. He's always on time. You and I just have to hold on. Hold on to the promises of God. However long you have suffered, God will deliver you at that perfect time. Next, we see the title, leading citizen of the island. This is the exact technical term, if you will, uh, for the person who represented Rome in that place. Remember, Rome was a superpower of the world. So this little, you know, under the, the, the thumb of someone, of Rome, they had to have someone representing Rome there. And this is what was going on. It's another example of Luke's extra extraordinary accuracy and how the Bible is so uh, tr- uh, you can trust it. You can trust and verify everything that's written in the Bible. Uh, next, we see then the father of Publius, he lay sick with fever. And I'm not even going to say that word. Whatever. Dysentery. <laughs> yeah. All right. Sometimes I got to write things phonetically because, you know, that's the way I got to. It has to sound how it looks or else I'm not going to say it right. <laughs> All right, some think that this was a, a malady known as Malta fever, which comes from some microorganism found in the milk of the goats there, and that this would usually leave symptoms for about four months. And so uh, this man was sick in any event, and he needed help. And Paul went, and it says, Paul went uh, to him and prayed, and he laid hands on this man, and, and, and he was healed. You see, God healed this man, yet it happened through the willing and the activeness of Paul. This is important for us. You see, God did the work, but Paul made himself ready and available for the work to be done. The application is this. The Lord enjoys working through us, his creation. But we need to be made sure that we are ready and available for the service that the Lord wants to do through us. Many times... As the worship team comes up and I close, we're, we're, we're preoccupied with other things. or We're not living in a right relationship with Jesus Christ, so we're dirty vessels and he can't work through us. But if we make ourselves available to become clean vessels for him, God will do extra extraordinary things through our ordinary lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 57 down through 58 tells us this. And I'll close with this last statement. It says, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And it says that the rest of these people that were sick, they came and were healed. So the work of Paul went to many others. It, 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 it stretched. It stretched. It went from one person and like a wildfire caught on. And for us today, may, may that be the same in our lives, that this fire that's built up in our bellies from the Holy Spirit may it extend to those around us. Amen? That we may be used to share the love of Christ with the dying world around us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we, we thank you for, Lord, just your provisions, how you provide everything that we need. Lord, may we continue to look to you. Lord, may we not lose hope despite the circumstances that surround our lives. May we not focus on the situation, but focus on you. For many of us, it's not easy. For many of us, we're going through difficulties. But may we trust that just like these prisoners and Paul and the crew, 
that you will deliver us at the perfect time. Father, we thank you and we love you. We pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.